Well, in our day, don't be surprised at all when honoring and obeying the Lord is met with pushback, even hatred. Daniel and many of the people of God, uh, when Nebuchadnezzar conquered Jerusalem, were exiled from Jerusalem, became prisoners of war, taken hundreds of miles to Babylon, and we've been talking about them living in a new world. Last week we said we're seeing a somewhat similar situation in our country, a rejection of the Christian worldview. See, no longer is it this in our country, no longer will you Christians make room for our worldview, which is actually something we should welcome. We should welcome other people because everybody's like, oh, we want everybody to live the Christian way. But do you know how many false converts have been in the church over the years? So we want to welcome other worldviews and we want to discuss them with people and ask them how they got to that place. We talked some about that last week. But it's no longer will you uh, make room for our worldview. Now it's more of, hey, you Christians, you've had your day. Get out of the way. Last week in verses 1 through 7, we saw King Nebuchadnezzar doing a similar, similar thing, trying to push Yahweh, or the living God, out of the way for a new way. We heard about an image, a statue uh, that he had built that the people were to bow down to. And Daniel said this over and over again, that it was an image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. It was not of God. It was of King Nebuchadnezzar. The repetitive wording, remember we said that Daniel is now writing in Aramaic. So he is writing so the people of Babylon, the people of, of all over the area, that's the language of the area. He's not writing in Hebrew. People would read this. This is the evangelistic section, if you will, of the book of Daniel. And so the repetitive wording of King Nebuchadnezzar had set up, I believe it was deliberate and I also believe that it's dripping with sarcasm. Come, come worship this God that someone else set up. <laughs> and if you don't, you'll die. You see, Daniel sees through the emptiness of what is going on, and he wants us to be careful because if we do come and worship that false God, we will eternally die. Now, I'm not saying that we just cease to exist. We will not have everlasting life with God in heaven. Daniel doesn't want the Bible reader to believe in this new way, which would include the people back then, the people read it since then, it would include us, or to give in to the pressure to get with the program, which many did back then and many are doing right now. Clearly, the image is not divine at all. Clearly, there are unseen spiritual forces at work. Clearly, as it is in our day, it is time for the title of our message, Courageous Faith. So if you're taking notes, three things we want to note this morning. Number one, courageous faith will be criticized. Courageous faith will be criticized. Verse 8, therefore, at the time when certain Chaldeans, uh, some of your versions say astrologers, could be just, you know, people from the elite class, came forward and accused the Jews. Some versions say maliciously accused the Jews. Now, it's very interesting the wording that he uses. The, the wording literally means they ate pieces of the Jews, so, so, so they really, they're really coming hard after them. In other words, they sank their teeth into them. They, really, they are really out for them. And, and, and sadly, followers of Jesus sometimes do that to each other. Much of the credibility of the American church right now is sinking and sinking quickly. Why? Because we're fighting one another. Who does that reek of the strategy of? You've been here long enough. If you've been here, if you're new, you know, it reeks of the strategy of the evil one. Okay? Okay, they got the message. All I got to do is get them to fight with one another. Fight about anything. Anything. And now it's been one issue after the other. If I can divide them, they will be ineffective. 
So the idea here is that these men come to the king with hatred and hostility, slander, and likely what we call anti-Semitism, hostility towards the Jews. So they maliciously accused the Jews. Verse 9, they spoke and said to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. What do you think, faith or buttering them up? I don't know what that is. I'm not going to comment. I'll leave it to you. Verse 10. What they do in verse 10 is they remind him of what he said in verses 1 through 7. You, O king, have made a decree that everyone who hears the sound of the horn, flute, harp, lyre, and psaltery in symphony with all kinds of music shall fall down and worship the gold image. We covered all this already last week, or we read it last week. And, note this, Whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. Remember those words? You're going to need them later. So what are they saying? You know, king, we just want to tell you, we are with you on this. Long live the king. But, in case you didn't know, not everybody is with you on this. And here's the charge, that something that was not given to us in verses 1 through 7. Look at verse 12. There are certain Jews. Now, what do you think the tone of that was? Remember, these guys in chapter 2, because of the dream, were promoted over these Chaldean guys. So, so the three Jewish guys with Daniel were promoted over them. So do you think it's like, oh, there's certain Jews? Remember, they've been imported into the country. Remember, they were taken over in war. Do you think that? Do you think it was like, oh, yeah, there's certain Jews? Or do you think it was, there's certain Jews? Like, these people disgust us. Remember, they ate pieces of them. There are certain Jews whom you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon. In other words, you made them our boss. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, and look at these three things they said. They have not paid, number one, they've not paid due regard to you. Secondly, they do not serve your gods. Or thirdly, they don't worship the gold image which you have set up. Translation, they have publicly disrespected you. I know you were in the front up there, what, the unveiling of that, that image? But we were in the back. We saw those guys. We saw the people bowing down, and we saw the three of them right there with their arms folded. And the ushers walked over and said, please bow down. And they said, we ain't doing that. We saw it. We don't know if you saw it, king. Not that we're jealous. We're just letting you know. But it seems to me that they would be jealous, envious, resentful, upset over the promotion of these three Jewish men. What happened with them is they, they came into Babylon. They, they started at the very bottom. Remember, they were just teenage boys that were just brought in to be deprogrammed into the Babylonian way of life, really kind of the, the, probably the athlete scholars of Jerusalem. And God promoted them very quickly. And the other guys who they bypassed weren't too happy. Some of you have heard this story before. When I, I, the church I come from is very, very large. And when I went on staff there, they had asked me a few times to come on staff, and my business really didn't do it. And so I had sold my, uh, two of my companies. And so it came time for me to come on staff. And I was there a couple of weeks, and one of the pastors pulled me into his office. As usual, I thought I was in trouble. So he said to me, I just want to let you know that we see, actually see the Holy Spirit in you. I'm like, what do you mean? They're like, He's like, there is a fire burning inside of you, and it is so obvious we can see it. And I said, okay, is that good? <laughs> and he says, and, you know, you're talking about a church with thousands of men. He says, you're going to bypass just about everybody, if not everybody, in a very short amount of time. I was sitting there like, Me? Me? And he goes, but don't expect everybody to be happy for you. And he was right. He was very right. So no doubt they had their critics, these three guys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. 
and, and, and servants of the Lord will. If you're going to serve the Lord, you're going to have your critics. Yet, despite the critics, Daniel and these three men, and, and I doubt this criticism was anything new. Maybe it wasn't to their face, but they know about it. They still pressed on in the work of the Lord. But now the critics have a charge to bring. You see, their integrity has now become disrespect for the king and the office of the king. This happens everywhere. This happens everywhere. You know, those of you that are older, you, you know this. Those of you that are starting out your careers, you're unfortunately going to experience this, that, that it happens in the workplace often. If you have a great work ethic, if you have integrity, if you are faithful to your God and to your employer, you will be criticized by the lazy. I'm not talking about when you get good, constructive, encouraging feedback. That's a different story. That is something we should all welcome. But the lazy love to criticize the people that work hard. Some of you have been told you're working too fast. Have you ever been told that? You're working too fast. Now, I own my own business, and you know, when I had truck drivers and I'd give out Christmas bonuses, I'd usually tell the guys, don't tell anybody what you got, but they would. And then sometimes one guy would go, I heard that guy got 10 times what I got. And I said, yes. And he goes, I don't think it's fair. I said, I agree with you. I don't think it's fair. I said, I can't believe I took some of his bonus and gave it to you. That was totally unfair because you should get nothing. You should get nothing. Because lazy people love to make other people look bad. You see, there's another thing that a lot of you are aware of that a lot of people think because they have been somewhere a long time or even once they get somewhere a short time. You ever work in a place, some of you work in a place where the attitudes are just horrible and somebody comes in all gung-ho and you're, we, we have a client, we had a client like that and we're like, how long till they get the disease? Usually take about six months and then they're just as bitter as everybody else. The company's not doing anything for me. I remember having a conversation with a guy, this is like 20 years ago. I'm like, how much did you make last year? He's like $125,000 a year. I go, what's your schooling? He goes, I dropped out of high school. I said, okay. So this is 20 years ago. You're making $125,000 a year. You're in a great job. You, you don't have any type of education. They trained you to do everything, and they're not doing enough for you? And you're complaining? I mean, I think that's pretty generous, actually. He's like, oh, no, no, no. You know, they're, they're, not, doing, they're not doing enough for me. And so a lot of people think they, they deserve certain privileges. Friend, if that's you, whether you're here, you're watching on the internet. Now, if you're not a Christian, glad you're here. Glad you're here, but let's front end load this. That is not the way of the kingdom of God. That is not the way of the kingdom of heaven. We call that stealing time. If you're, if you're being paid to do a job and you're not doing it, you're taking money for something you didn't earn. Not the way of the kingdom of God. Now, you're like, what does this have to do with Daniel? Don't count this against my time. This is just throwing stuff for to help you in the workplace. You see, the boss usually knows whether you're working or not. So when you're not working on your job, don't be surprised when God's not blessing. Don't be surprised if God is allowing you to be passed over for things because he wants you to work to the glory of God not to join the ranks of the complaining. Or don't be surprised if God moves you out of there. Or don't be surprised if you get fired. You're like, how could God let this happen to me? I bet you, you knew over and over and over again, God was telling you, you better be careful. You better be careful. I've met with a lot of people who lost their job and they said, you know, sometimes there's cutbacks and there's layoffs or there's bad fits. No, I'm not talking about any of that stuff. They just were not working and they lost their job. Because here's what happens. If I knew we had a group of clients and there was one group and they had to lay off one guy. None of them did any work. Who do you think they all recommended to be laid off? 
the Christian guy. Because <laughs> they were tired of him talking about Jesus all the time on the job. There's something else. Sometimes there's only one person watching us when we're being lazy. Who's that? Yeah, that's the Lord. That's the audience of one. And so you have to be really, really careful because he'll watch you. And he's watching a lot of things, not only your work ethic, he's watching your bitterness. He's watching your lack of forgiveness. But that's not Daniel and his friends. This is an integrity issue for these guys. We don't know where Daniel is right now, but only three men, these three men, are cited for their not bowing down to this statue, to this image, which leads us to an incredibly important principle of the Christian life. Standing up for God can be a very lonely place. It can be a very, very lonely place. And you can be criticized heavily, heavily from all fronts. Now, I don't think that everybody is called to be a leader. In some sense, yes. Somebody new comes into your ministry, you're a servant, you're, you need to help them. You need to be a leader to them. But, but if you feel like you're called to be a leader and you can't take criticism and you can't take being stabbed in the back, you're actually not ready. You're actually not ready. You're going to be need to be thrown into the, into the mix a little bit more or maybe a lot more because leadership, even in the church, comes with a lot of criticism. And another thing is, if you make your criticisms to everyone except the leaders you're actually demonstrating that you're not a leader, that you're a long way from being a leader. Because if you think that words don't get back to the leaders, you underestimate the loyalty some people have to their leaders. And so I'm telling you all of this stuff. I noticed that when I, when I, I got put into this program at, at this large church that I was in, only, only four of us were picked for it. All of them did not badmouth the pastors behind the pastor's back. If they had something to say, they made appointments and they actually talked to them. It's one thing I noticed about all those guys. And most of the time, they would just let the stuff roll off their back and just say, we got to get to it. You see, to be a leader in your job, to be a leader in your church, and that's what these guys are. These guys are taking a leadership stand. To be a leader you're going to have to learn to put your desires and your emotions to the side for the greater cause. You lead for the greater cause. You don't lead for what you want. You don't lead for your personal desires. You lead for the mission of God. That is what you are to do. You endure criticism even though the vast majority of it will be unfair and untrue. That's the job. That's the calling. Now, some of you are like, after hearing all this, Pastor Jim, you're scaring me. I don't want to be a leader. Good. 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 Because you know what? We don't want anybody to, we don't want to force anybody into being anything they don't want to be or they're not called to be. We want all, all people serving in the area that they're called to be. There's some people in this church, I'm telling you, I, they, they, don't, they don't really want to be a leader. They're just like, I just want to serve what I'm doing to the glory of God. I'm like so jealous of that. <laughs> really? So number two, after criticism, courageous faith will be challenged. Courageous faith will be challenged. Verse 13, then Nebuchadnezzar, in rage and fury, gave the command to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar spoke, saying to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you did not serve my gods or worship the gold image which I have set up? 
So, so what, what is he doing? He's challenging them to think, are you really loyal to me? Are you, are you really, are you, are you loyal to me? But inside they're thinking that question is asking us, are we loyal to God? See, they're, they're, they know what he's really asking. Who are you loyal to? Verse 15. Now, if you are ready at the time, you hear the sound of the horn, flute, harp, lyre, and psaltery, and symphony with all kinds of music, and you fall down and worship the image which I have made good. Let's stop right there. What's he doing? He's giving them a second chance. He's telling them, hey, I'm willing to, I'm willing to call the praise band back, the Nebuchadnezzar praise band back. I'm willing to call them back. But if you do not worship, you shall be cast immediately into the midst of, here's those three words again, that motivation, the burning, fiery furnace. And here's the key question. Who is the God who will deliver you from my hands? That's the key question. That's the challenge. If you have integrity, who is going to save you? Who is going to help you? Now, this question right here is why I'm not so sure I can do all of this in one message. Upon hearing these three would not bow, bow down, Nebuchadnezzar is furious. We might say he's beside himself with rage. He says to them, is it true? Now, maybe he's thinking, well, hey, I brought, I brought you down into Babylon. I gave you positions in the court. I, I, you know, I put you in that class, that three-year class to, you know, at Babylon University to become one of us. And I made sure you, I let you have the food you wanted, and I took care of you. I hooked you up. Uh, you got the good treatment. No mention of the fact that I happened to kidnap you, but that's besides the point. He's like, look at all that I've done for you. And while it doesn't apply directly here to Nebuchadnezzar, gratitude is a distinguishing mark of a follower of Jesus. I think more of you need to write that down. Gratitude. And you say, well, Pastor Jim, why are you saying that? Because God said to me, Jim, you need to write that down. <laughs> Gratitude is a distinguishing mark of a follower of Jesus. Now, we, there's no recorded remark from what I'm referring to here as the big three, although there may have been, but see, what, what it is, is gratitude to God is what produced courageous faith in them. Nebuchadnezzar's like, how could you not be grateful to me? And they're like, well, the actual reason is because we're grateful to God. And that's why we're up for the challenge. Now, even if Nebuchadnezzar didn't give them time to answer, he does give them a second chance. You wonder why he would do that. I don't know for sure. Maybe he liked them. Maybe they were such incredible workers. Maybe he wanted them to be an example to the rest of the Jews. Look, your leaders are bowing down. Why don't you guys bow down too? They're obeying the government. Why don't you obey the government? Ultimately, Nebuchadnezzar is challenging their faith and loyalty to Yahweh. And notice the intimidation, the way he does it. Three words, burning, fiery furnace. Like, if, if maybe, maybe I'm not persuasive enough, but maybe the heat will, will get to you. And, loved ones, you're going to feel the heat from people. You're going to hear it. You're going to hear it. You're going to feel it. This could be why Daniel is saying over and over again the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And I'll tell you one thing the last year has taught me. I've known it all along, but now I believe it more than ever before. The truth of the word of God really helps lessen the pressure from the world. The truth of the word of God lessens the pressure that I sense in my life. You know, when all this hit, I, I, I knew we were going to sort of be in our homes for a while. And so two things were adopted. One by my lovely wife. She's like, you're going to have to get in better shape. 
So some of you are like, Pastor Jim, you're wasting away. <laughs> There's a lot less of you than there was before the pandemic. Well, that's because, you know, I got a great wife. And sometimes people give you good, constructive criticism that you need to listen to. The other thing was I decided I was going to read my Bible twice as much because I would just not have as much, spend as much time driving around here and there. And so really God has brought this to my heart that, that, that pressure is not quite so intense when I'm immersed in, in the word of God. And also, I've really learned so much from this year. Always knew it. You know, there's some things you always know, and then somehow they just get deeply embedded in your soul that I believe more than ever. And I've always believed this since I've been a Christian, that the kingdom of man will never be over the kingdom of God. Never. It may seem like it might be. People say to me, what do you think about all these restrictions? I'm always like, what restrictions? What restrictions? And so, and so the kingdom of man will never rule. And there's another important point here of the Christian life. And, and this is so important. I'll, I may even mention it again because it's so important. It is much better to make up your mind in advance, to be grounded in the truth in advance before the challenge comes. Have the answer right on your lips, right on your lips. Be ready to go with it. You say, can you give me an example? I'll give you two. Over 600 years later, Jesus is teaching about the cross. He says this, John 10, 17 through 18. Therefore, my father loves me because I lay down my life. That's the cross that I may take it again. Some versions say take it up again. That's the resurrection. He says, no one takes it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have the power to lay it down. I have the power to take it up again. This command I have received from my father. When he's meeting with Pilate, Pilate says, I have the power to kill you. Don't you know that or release you? And he goes, you got no power except my father gave it to you. I could call down legions of angels, but I'm not going to. Why? Because my mind was made up in John chapter 10. I didn't need to get to wait to the end of John's gospel, he's telling Pilate, to make my decision. I had made it up a long time ago. You say, well, that's Jesus, you know. Okay, let's go to a human, totally human, 100% human, not, not Jesus, fully human, God and fully human. A number of years after that and the challenges of mission work, of pastoring and church planting work. A lot of people think of the Apostle Paul as first and foremost as a theologian. Much better to think of him as an evangelist, as a missionary, as a, church, as a leader of a church planting movement, and as a pastor. The Apostle Paul says this, Acts 20 through 22. He goes, and see now, Acts 20, verses 22 to 24. And see now I go bound in the Spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying that chains and tribulations await me. Now you think he would go, so that means I need to quit. <laughs> that means I, I, need to, I need to stop what I'm doing. It's not going to go well for me as I keep going forward. Look what he says next. You should have these words underlined and circled and highlighted in your Bible. Verse 24. But none of these things move me. None of them. I'm not afraid. I'm afraid of him. I'm afraid of God. I'm not afraid of these people. The Holy Spirit is even telling me what to expect. You know how sometimes you're like, Spirit, please don't tell me what to expect. Let me just go in there. Look what he says, why? Nor do I count my life dear to myself so that I may finish my race with joy. My dear Christian friend, do you know that God has given each and every one of you, each and every one of you, a race to run with joy. Do you know that? Do you know that there is someone in this world who is waiting for you to come to them 
to run your race with joy. You know, statistically right now, this is probably for most of us the height of our lives when people are saying they're most, susceptible, most ready to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. You, you're listening, you're watching so much news, you think, oh, no, no, nobody wants to hear it, nobody wants to hear it. Wrong, 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 wrong. Statistically, right now, you walk up to your neighbor, just pick one person, pray for them for a week, a month, and say, would you come to church with me? Or could I sit down and watch one of the messages from our church with you? Could I talk to you about faith? People are willing to have those conversations. They know the world is unraveling. They know it. That's why none of that stuff's covered on the news. You know why? Well, if you had a plan to make sure nobody shared their faith, what would you do? You'd make sure nobody knew that people wanted to hear it. Where does that plan come from? Second time, same guy. And so he says, so that I may finish my race with joy and the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus. So not only, friends, has God given you a race to run with joy, he has given each and every one of you a ministry. Maybe multiple ones. Some of you are watching from home right now. Maybe you can't get out of the house anymore. Maybe you're very old or you're very sick and you can't get out. And you're like, all I do is I pray for the church and I pray for you, Pastor Jim. I know you're praying for me. I know it. I know it. I know I couldn't have made it through the last two years without the Spirit of God, the Word of God, my beloved wife, and the people praying for me. Man, I, I am not that strong. I know it. I'm not afraid to admit it. I could have walked away. I'm strong enough to walk away. And so your ministry is of hyper importance. And whatever it is, don't think that it's unimportant. You're like, oh, I'm only the person meeting the people at the door. Do you know how many times I hear from people that, you know, it was the smiling face at the door. It was the first smiling face I saw all week. Or somebody held up a sign that said, we're glad you're here. It's the first time I felt anybody was glad I was anywhere in years. Don't ever, ever underestimate the power of your ministry. So for the ministry, so I'm going to finish my race with joy, the ministry which I receive and the ministry I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. So what is he willing to, what is he waiting to do? To tell more people about Jesus. What is he? He's motivated by grace to serve the one who served him on the cross. And loved ones, you've heard me say this a thousand times, and I'll say it a thousand times more. Until you see Jesus Christ as a servant serving you on the cross, you will never be a true servant of the kingdom. Never. You'll be trying to do it. You'll be trying to do it. And you'll be mad at every little thing. You'll be burning out. You'll be exhausted and all that. But when you see him serving you on the cross and you reflect on that daily, you watch you watch the firepower that God puts in your soul. The, 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 the burning, fiery furnace won't be in Nebuchadnezzar's kitchen. It'll be in your heart. That makes the end of verse 15 gotta be one of the silliest questions in the Bible. Nebuchadnezzar goes, who is the God who will deliver you from my hands? It's like, it's like, well, hey, listen, I, I read chapter two. I, I know your God can figure out dreams, but do you think he's stronger than me? Nebuchadnezzar's like, I'm the king of a world superpower. Now, there's, this is not as far disconnected from us as we may think, as there ha- has been and there always will be lots of challenges and pressures not to obey God. Now, this is going to, over, over certain times throughout history, this is the one you will hear. 
uh, Romans 13, and you would be correct to say this, that we are to obey the government. But remember this, that does not make the government God. So we are to obey the government. Certain things they tell us we need to do. We do it. We do it. Other things, we're like these guys. Sorry, can't do that one. Can't do that one. Again, last year, I have not felt the government infringe on me on not even one aspect. Not even one. Remember when we did Habakkuk? We said the one thing they can't take from us is what? Him. They can't take God from us. Nobody has tried to take God from me. They can't take that which is embedded inside of you. But the government's not God. But you know what? Neither is your personal desire. And neither is my personal desire. So, so what, is, what, this, what does this mean? How does this government thing, but government not being God thing. What does it mean? I said to some of the parents last week and say it again this week. Some of you may need to stand up at the school board meeting and say, I don't really think this is the best thing to be teaching first graders. I don't think this is really appropriate. I think we should have the right to, um, to, to monitor what our kids are learning. We should have the right to pull our kids out of this class. And you're going to expect some people are going to sneer at you and they're going to object to you and then expect probably two-thirds of the audience that would say, thank you for saying that. Thank you for saying that. Because that's the way we all feel. And then say to people, you know what? Well, we've got to start writing letters. Let's start writing to the Board of Education. Now, we have to be careful not to stretch it into just what we selfishly want. Because if we do that, we're going to lose our influence. I hate to say it, but right now, much of our culture doesn't see the church as being Christian. Much of our culture doesn't see the church as looking like Jesus at all in our attitudes. I think they, they see us more like Nebuchadnezzar. People exalting themselves full of pride and arrogance. We've become, in the eyes of many people, just another special interest group. Maybe, maybe just maybe, the church in America needs to plead with God to forgive us and to deliver us from our selfishness and our self-righteousness and our self-centeredness. So we're ready for the challenge from the world. Because not only is it here now, but it is coming. And it is coming with both guns loaded. I hate to say it, but a lot of the people that are against us are a lot more zealous than we are. And I don't want to be just a total pessimist on this because really, as I just said before, the fields are white for harvest, as Jesus said. They are so ready. The question is, is the American church ready? I mean, we know that evangelism is on the decline been on the decline for the last 40 or 50 years. Are we ready for it as a church? Are you ready for it? Am I ready for it? See, if we want to be ready for the challenges and the opportunities, you know what we need? We need courageous faith. We need to be like these guys. That takes us to number three. Courageous faith will be tested. Verse 16, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, notice they don't call him king, <laughs> we have no need to answer you in this matter, so don't, bother, don't waste your money hiring the band. 
Verse 17, they declare their confidence in the Lord. If that is the case, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us from your hand, O king. Verse 18, one of the greatest, tremendous declarations of faith in the entirety of the Bible. This, This is why I'm so unsettled in this chapter here. But if not, let it be known to you, O king, that we do not serve your gods, nor will we worship the gold image which you have set up. These guys are not full of pride. They are full of faith. They basically say to Nebuchadnezzar, we don't have to defend ourselves. You know why? Because God will. You see, they made up their minds a long time ago on this. Their faith is firm. Their foundation is strong. Their house is built on the rock. Now you say to yourself, are they guilty or have they been misrepresented? Exactly. Both are true. Both are true. And they are ready to take the consequences. Now, on the other hand, it would be easy to rationalize. Well, if we comply, we maintain our influence with the government. And this is where, this is where faith is really becomes a challenge. But once again, before we move on to thinking about that, I want to say this. This is why it's important to have your essential beliefs nailed down beforehand, not wait for the moment when the pressure is on. Young people, did you hear that? Some of you are like, yes, Pastor Jim, because you only told us 200 times in youth group over the years. Well, now it's 201. You have to have your convictions nailed down before the pressure is on. In my experience, most people who wait to debate in the moment for the clear things usually fail the test and usually make the wrong choice. The same is true when we find ourselves fighting the wrong battles. Some of us are fighting the wrong battles. We got this battle going on in our head and then we export it to other people. We end up making the wrong choices. So what's going on here? They are crystal clear here with Nebuchadnezzar. We can't do what you are asking us to do. Why? I would say most likely they're probably saying the reason is, is it's clearly forbidden in the Ten Commandments. Nebuchadnezzar told them to bow. The three of them looked at each other and go, oh, that's the Ten Commandments. Can't do it at one. Can't do it at one. Not going to happen. They're also saying we're quite confident that our God is able to deliver us if it is his will. And if it's not his will to deliver us, we're cool with that too. (laughs) Man, that is faith, isn't it? That is off the charts faith. I'm, I'm asking God to heal me, but if he don't deliver me, I'm cool with it. I'm cool with him. I'm good with him. I'm asking God to help me with this or, or help me with that. And if he does, awesome. I will praise his name. And if he doesn't, awesome. I will praise his name. You can't stand up to people like that. You can't. Now, now, the fact that what I just said may upset some of you, but for others, a light bulb just went off and it just answered like a hundred unanswered questions to you. Like, that's it. That's it. That God doesn't just want to answer my questions but, or, or answer my prayers, but he wants me to trust him when he doesn't. That's real faith. That's what he's building in me. Now it's beginning to make sense. Because here's the thing, loved ones, it is easier to know God's revealed will. You shall have no other gods before me than is to understand what we call God's circumstantial will. That is what you do in certain circumstances where the Bible is not clear on it. Knowing what to do in certain circumstances takes prayer, 
takes godly wisdom, takes the word of God, takes godly counsel, takes the leading of the Holy Spirit, not making some stupid decision and saying, oh, well, God led me. What do we call that? Lead poisoning. No, no, no. It, to understand God's circumstantial will is very different than his revealed will. So their conclusion is, we'll take our chances with God. We will face the fiery furnace before we will deny the faith. The Bible says it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of, a living, of the living God. The Bible says our God is a, confu- a consuming fire. They're like, hey, we'll take your fire before we'll take his. No questions asked there. They will worship and serve the living God, not the gods of this world, even if God's will for their future is uncertain. Now, you might say, hey, You said last week that it's quite possible or some secular writers had written that this actually may have happened 15 years or 20 years after they were promoted to their position. So that means that they've been serving King Nebuchadnezzar already. Here's the important distinction. They have been serving him already as far as their conscience permitted. That is an important point. You've got to connect with all of this. But they had a line that could not be crossed. And they would no longer cross that line. No more. The certain thing you can ask of us, we're not going to do that. I also... I think their calm demeanor and their respect for the king's position serves as such an example to us. They're not getting all upset about it. They're like, this is just the way it is. Well, you know you're going to have to suffer the consequences. And like, we know. We know. Look at the first three words of verse 18. But if not. If we get thrown in that fiery furnace, but if not, if God doesn't, he's not, he doesn't you know, save us, it's okay. That is the miracle of courageous faith. Whether they die or not, their faith and trust is in the Lord. You know what they seem to be saying? They seem to be saying, we love God. Nebuchadnezzar, you don't understand. We love God more than we love life itself. Because to us, he is life. You see, we love God for who he is, not for what we can get from him. That's my big, big pet peeve among many with the prosperity movement. We love God for what we can get from him. That's not why we love God. Is that why God loved you? When it comes to salvation, people go, you have nothing to do with it. I go, I brought the sin. <laughs> you know, I brought nothing else. Such faith knows God might not spare those who trust him the pains of earth. He might not spare us the pains of an earthly death, but he will certainly save us the pain of an eternal death as he will give us eternal life for trusting in his son. Job chapter 13, Job said this, though he slay me, yet I will trust him. If you, if you don't know the story of Job, read the first couple chapters. Job trusted the Lord with courageous faith in the midst of pain that few people have ever experienced. In the Garden of Gethsemane, the night before the cross, Matthew 26, verse 39, Jesus says this. It says, he went a little farther and fell down on his face and prayed, saying that Matthew writing that, and then he records what Jesus said. Jesus said, oh, my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. What's the cup? The cup of God's wrath that he 
poured out on Jesus for the sins of the world. Jesus knew the only way, as, as the angel said it to Joseph in Matthew chapter one, the only way to save his people from their sins was to have the cup of God's wrath, the just punishment for our failure to obey God on him, to be poured out on him on the cross. Jesus' obedience to his father was perfect all the way from obeying his parents to trusting in his father as a kid, to the temptation as, of, of the devil in the wilderness, to the temptation to avoid the cross, Jesus was faithful. And yet, what happened to the most faithful man, the God-man who ever lived? It took him to the cross. But Jesus, because of that perfect life, because of his obedience, was able to take not only our sins, but death in our place on the cross. And our part is simply this, to turn to him, to put our trust in him, and to start following after him. You see, for all of us, when we fail in courageous faith, forgiveness is always possible because of Jesus' perfect life and his death on the cross. I love that about him. I love that about him. John 8, 36, Jesus said this, therefore, if the son makes you free, some versions say if he sets you free, you shall be free indeed. Oh, sure, from earth's point of view, these guys were prisoners of war. Not from heaven's point of view. They're one of the few guys in, in, in Babylon. They are eternally free because they are prisoners of Christ. They are free. They are free indeed. Do you want that? If you're here and you're not a follower of Jesus, it's yours today. Simply put your trust in Jesus and start following him and you will be free. It's not a prison. It is ultimate freedom. You will be free, and you will be free indeed. And then you'll be freed up, and may God help us to be people of courageous faith. Well, let's stand and pray.